Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Good evening, Chanel. Good evening, Dee Dee. What if it's not evening when someone is listening to this podcast? Oh, it might not be. That's annoying. Welcome, whatever time of the day. Willkommen. Welcome. Bienvenue. Why are you starting straight up with an accent? <laughs> now, let's explain. I'm being very nice to you this episode. You mm-hmm. went first last time. I did. You can go first. No, your story's quite heavy. It is a bit. So let's do yours first okay. and then mine's quite light. Right. Because we'll leave people with a Nice feeling. How are you going to have a light story? There's a dead body in it, but it's a light dead body. This story will be very familiar to you. You'll know who the person is. But I wanted to talk about it because it's still to this day, Mm. it updates all the time and it is still incredibly I can't think of what story this would be. All right. Well, it starts back in 1993, February the 12th, a two-year-old boy by the name of James Bulger. I don't Do you know, know this, this story. It'll seem familiar to okay. you. You'll have heard it over the years, I would think. He was with his mother in a busy shopping centre uh, called the New Strand Shopping Centre in Bootle, which is near Liverpool in okay. the UK. And at the same Can time, I Google a photo of him or no? No. Okay. Later. Just a little boy. Little boy. Two year old. At the same time that they were shopping, James and his mum, uh, two boys who had, we call it wagging school here in Australia. We do. school. Wagging. Playing truant. Dad had to encourage me to wag school because I was such a nerd I wouldn't do it. And Dad was worried that I wasn't creating any memories for myself by doing bad things at school. Oh, my God. I and he love said your to dad. me, just wag once. Don't tell me, but just go to school. I'll drop you off and then don't go to school and have a fun day. That's so good. Yeah, and I was I used always to walk out I was of high a nerd. School. I couldn't do it. Scared. I would just put my bag over my shoulder and walk and <gasps> walk and walk and walk and walk like about two or three miles home. Well, that was me in year twelve, but at the at the like towards the start, I was just a nervous Nelly. I couldn't. <laughs> had to go to school. Had to go to school. Had to go to school. I was a goody two yeah. shoes. But sometimes kids would go down uh, Foot Street, which is near my school, and get fish and chips at lunchtime. Ooh. That was a, And one day Sharon Anderson went home at lunchtime because she lived close to school. <laughs> I love and, how you always remember in, high, in primary school and high school, you remember people's full names. And you know Sharon she Anderson. She went home mm. and for the, some reason for the first time she shaved her legs and she <gasps> came back to school. But she'd done it in such a hurry because she was like trying to go home at lunchtime. she torn all the skin off her legs. Oh, damn. No. I remember smoking ciggies at school. I think you were so badass yeah, for I did doing once. that. I felt so sick. Mm. Mm. Uh, it's a horrible story. Right, here we go. Okay. Um, so at the same time that James and his mum were shopping, there were two boys. They had skipped school. They were wandering from shop to shop. They were naughty boys. They were stealing anything they could get their hands on. They were The things they stole, they were throwing them down the escalators just for the fun of it. Mm. For some reason... At one point, and we'll never know why, these two boys, John Venables and Robert Thompson, decided to steal a child. What? Oh, yes. I think I know this story. You do. Uh, inside the TJ Hughes department store, another woman had noticed that the two boys were trying to get her child's attention and her three-year-old daughter and two-year-old son suddenly went missing. She found her daughter 
and she asked where her son was and the little girl said, gone outside with the boy. <gasps> so that woman ran outside. She found Venables and Thompson calling her son to follow them. Uh, when Venables saw this woman, they told the boy to go back to her and they ran Ran off. away. Yep. So it wasn't long later, they were hanging around a kiosk, they were trying to steal some lollies, and they saw James Bulger, the little two-year-old, by the door of a butcher's shop. And his mum, Denise, looked away for a moment, mm. just a moment. A and in that moment. time, mm. they got the toddler to come with them. Venables <sighs> took his hand. Lots she regret sh- that moment oh, for the rest God. of her life, and it is not her fault. No, no. Uh, so several shoppers later remembered seeing the kids walking through the mall. Mm. Um, sometimes they, some of them said that little James ran ahead and that they heard the older boys saying, come on, baby. Now, a surveillance camera tracked them, leaving the shopping centre at 3.42pm. Now, by this stage, Denise was panicking. Right. She found security. They called James's name over the loudspeakers like a two-year-old is not going to at all, not going to react. But but you, you have know, to try. I can do exactly. Correct. By four fifteen, which was half an hour after he'd gone missing, there was no sign of him. Oh. So the police were called in. The three children, the two older boys and little James, had left them all. And um, this is like utterly heartbreaking oh, at this moment. Horrible. I have no kids, but I can only imagine. Yeah. There's a movie with Michelle Pfeiffer where she's got a little boy. She goes to something and the child disappears. I I was reading the book. Of the movie, and I, I had to stop, and yeah. I tried to watch the movie. Thinking You'd hear your couldn't. heart beating in your chest, yeah. and then you have to call your husband and say, "Oh, I can't find him." Yeah, it doesn't. It, it yeah, it's hard for both of them, and she is married. Um, so the, James started crying for his mum uh, just as they'd left them all, and the older boys ignored him, and they took him to a secluded area near a canal. Mm. They dropped. This is pretty awful, but anyway, I'll tell you what they did. They dropped James on his head and they left him on the ground crying. A woman walked past and she noticed this happening, but she did nothing. Mm. Uh, So Venables and Thompson, they got James up again. They called for him to come and he still followed them Mm. because he's a little boy. You know, they don't know. There's nothing else around. And I know that when my kids were little, little kids just want to do what big kids are doing. Absolutely. So they would have gone, he would have gone with them. Um, He followed them. By now he had a big bruise on his forehead. He had a cut. The older boys pulled the hood of his coat over his head to try and hide the injury that was there. Other people passing by saw the cut on his head and that he was upset, but no one did anything. (sighs) They walked around Liverpool. They went past shops and buildings and parking lots. They walked down one of Liverpool's busiest streets Some witnesses later remembered seeing James laughing. Others said they saw him resisting and screaming for his mother. And no one did anything. No. One person saw um, Thompson kick little James in the ribs when he was trying to resist. No one did anything. Uh, One woman saw uh, Robert Thompson punch little James Bulger and shake him and she just pulled her curtains. (gasps) Why, do, why don't people do anything? It was starting to I'm, get dark. I've never been in that situation. I can't, but I, I feel like I would do something. I feel like I'm an intervener. Yeah. By nature, I think yeah. I am. Yeah, but I think some people just naturally are. And look, this is a little while back. It's not, people feel oh, no. more empowered now because yeah, everyone has voices because of social media. Everyone's a bit stronger. It's different. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it was starting to get dark at this point. An elderly woman saw little James crying, saw that he was hurt, and she asked the boys what was wrong. And the 10-year-old said, we just found him at the bottom of a hill. So the lady told them to take James to the police station, which was nearby. She was concerned, but another woman standing nearby said that she had heard James laughing a few moments earlier. So both the women assumed that nothing was wrong. Um, Another woman told the boys that she'd take James to the police station. But then when she had her daughter with her and she asked another lady, would you mind my daughter while I take this little boy to the police station? The other woman wouldn't mind her daughter for her while she did that. And so she wasn't able to do it. So she left James with the boys. Uh, They walked into two different shops. They met two older boys who they knew and they told those boys that James was Robert Thompson's brother and that they were taking him home. Altogether, 38 people (gasps) saw the boys take James away and did nothing. So they walked for a couple of miles. They eventually arrived at a railway and Mm, between, sometime between, yeah. This is the part that makes me know I know it. Between 5.45 and 6.30, little James Bulger was brutally tortured and murdered. Now, the two boys had stolen some blue paint. They splashed that into James's left eye. They kicked him. They beat him up with bricks and stones. They stuffed batteries into his mouth. Mm, That's the part I remember. There are varying reports as to whether this is true or not, but one of the stories that I read said they stuffed batteries into his anus. That's the part I remember. They hit him over the head with a 22-pound iron bar, which broke his skull in 10 places. Can I just fact check? Yep. How old are these two boys? 10. They're both 10? Mm-hmm. In all, James had 42 injuries to his face, his head and his body. There was a pattern of bruising on his right cheek that matched the shoe that was worn by Robert Thompson. Mm -hmm. He was so badly beaten, they said there was no way to tell which of those injuries had killed him. And Um, then does does it work the other way when you say this little boy just did what the other one was doing? Mm. Does it work for those two 10-year-old boys that they just did it because the other one was doing it. It's never been quite known who was leading the yeah. pack out of the two of them, but but yeah. I'll go into in Do you a know minute. what I mean? I'm not justifying no, it. No, no, no. I know exactly what you mean, but we'll, in a minute I'll go into what has become of them later in life okay. and you can kind of okay. decide what you think. Um, the police suspected that there was maybe a sexual element to what they did because James's shoes, socks, trousers and underpants had all been removed and the pathologist's report which was read out in court later found that his foreskin had been forcibly retracted. Oh. The forensic pathologist concluded later that James was dead when John Venables and Robert Thompson put his dead body across the train tracks. A train came along and it cut him in two. The next day, police searched the canal where the boys had been seen. And by this stage, the CCTV images have been released to the media. So they know they're looking for two boys. Yep. And at first, James's dad was relieved that his son was with two older boys because he thought, well, someone's looking after him. Um, because th- your mind doesn't go there. Yep. Your mind doesn't think, and we spoke about this before, that... You always think... What you want to believe. Correct. Yeah. Uh, it was two days later that four children playing on the train tracks found, found James's body. 
all of the things that have been used to attack him were nearby, the bar, the stones, all of those things, the paint. Police checked schools in the area to see who'd been missing on the day that James disappeared. And eventually it was an anonymous phone call that implicated John Venables and Robert Thompson as the killers. The caller said that they had missed school that day and that they had seen blue paint. I was going to say the blue paint. On the sleeve of the jacket. And police also found blood on Robert Thompson's shoes. Uh, both the boys were arrested. They were interviewed separately and they both turned on each other. Right. After several days, John Venables confessed and said, what about his mum? Will you tell her I'm sorry? Uh, Robert Thompson denied everything. Mm. And yet he gave a, a detailed description of what James had been wearing. Police said he seemed absolutely unfazed. Wow. And he asked police whether James had been taken to hospital to, a quote, get him alive again. Oh. Both the boys were charged. Uh, because they were minors, their identities were hidden. So yes. nine months later, a trial began. Outside the court, people were yelling, kill, you kill the bastards, a life for a life. And they're little boys. Yeah. And people were screaming for them to be killed. That is the same here. We can't identify any children. Mm. And it has to be that way. We can't even shoot the front of the children's court. So interestingly, I think um, I think this is interesting because of the way things turned out. Robert Thompson was in, in the court. They said he was cold and seemed remorseless, mm. but John Venables was hysterical. So it was assumed because of that that Thompson was, was the, the instigator. Yeah. yeah. Nobody was ever able to establish the motives or why they did it or which of them was, in fact, And the what would ever be justifiable? Oh, nothing. Exactly right. Absolutely nothing. Uh, both were convicted of murder and sentenced to serve at Her Majesty's pleasure, which is an indefinite sentence uh, with no maximum. But in their particular case, there was a minimum of eight years, at which time the boys would be 18 years old. So both right. of them served their time without incident. And when the eight years were up in 2001, both the boys were released. Wow. And they were given new identities. Now, under the, this is where it gets interesting. Under the terms of their release, they were not allowed to contact each other or James Bulger's family, and they were banned from visiting the Merseyside region, region again. Forever? Yeah. Right. And they had curfews and they had to report to probation officers. And if sure. they breached the rules or they were deemed to be a risk to the public, they would be returned to prison. Got it. Um, hang on, what year was that? They were 2001? Correct. Okay, 2004. Somebody tipped James Bulger's mother, Denise, off to the location of Robert Thompson. And remember, they've got different identities now. Mm. They don't have the same names. And she said that she was paralysed with hatred and she couldn't bring herself to confront him. So uh, that's Robert Thompson. He is, there's not so much information about him. He's believed to be somewhere back in society, assimilated, living a quiet life under an assumed identity. Right. John Venables is a different story, however, and this is where I wonder if you're trying to decide who was the ringleader. Mm. Um, after he was released, he began a relationship with a woman who had a child. He began drinking excessively, taking drugs, downloading child porn. Oh. He visited Merseyside, which was a breach of his terms. In 2008, so four years later, he was arrested after a fight outside a nightclub. Three months later, he was busted with cocaine. Then in 2010, he was caught with child abuse images. It was alleged he had downloaded 57 indecent images, including children as young as two being raped by adults. Oh. He pleaded guilty and was jailed again for two years. 
he'd been posing in chat rooms online as a woman called Dawny, uh, who boasted about abusing her eight-year-old daughter, and he was using that identity to try and get people to send him child porn images. So he pleaded guilty and was um, jailed for two years, as I said. 2011, John Venables was eligible for parole, but that was denied. And then in that was July of 2011. In November of 2011, they decided that he would stay in prison for the foreseeable future. And then in 2013, he came up for parole. James Bulger's dad, Ralph Bulger, asked the parole board not to release him. He said, sometimes you feel like you're having a heart attack. It's just a big knot in your chest and it's been there since day one. Day one. However... John Venables, or whatever name he has, was released on the 3rd of September 2013. He was given a second new identity because apparently he told some friends that he was a convicted murderer. Couldn't even keep his own mouth shut. Uh, November 2017, more than a 1,000 child abuse images and a pedophile manual about how to have sex with children were found on his computer. Good. And he was jailed again for three years and four months. Mm. Uh, The Daily Star reported that he had been attacked in prison with boiling water after an inmate discovered his identity. What a pity. He begged for plastic surgery. I love it when you editorialise. He Mm. he begged for plastic surgery at the taxpayer's expense. Of course he did. Because photos identifying him were leaked online. Oh, how about then? Don't tell your friends you're a convicted murderer because we've already been through this. Exactly. Uh, May of 2018, James Bulger's dad, Ralph, launched um, high court proceedings Mm. against the order of suppression on his identity. He, oh, the dad words, wanted people James to know who he dad was. dad wants him to be revealed right. as who he is. Uh, let's now come to now, 26 years after James died, on the 31st of January 2019. Yes. A man and a woman pleaded guilty to posting photos that they claimed were John Benables on social media and they've both been given suspended prison sentences. Oh, they were trying to out him? Yep. Right. They're not the only ones either. On the 4th of March 2019, Ralph uh, Bulger, James's dad, Mm -hmm. and his brother Jimmy went to court again to try and have the order protecting John Venables lifted. They said that information about him is already common knowledge. It's easily accessible online. Yes. That is a a defence at lifting a suppression. The horse has bolted, as they say. Well, you know, they'll have to keep re-looking at this. Well, they're saying that they want to make sure he doesn't do it to any more children. I mean, really, I think if anything Mm. is done, it should be done in the public interest. And I think the public need to know that this person, if they see him, is a threat. They do. They do. He's 35 now. Like he's a grown well, there's man. There's a lot of life yeah. left in him. And and um, Ralph Bulger says he's more than a more than ever. He's a threat now yeah. in his eyes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and March this year, 2019, he lost that bid to have so he's his still identity. Suppressed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the judge, Sir Andrew McFarlane, said there is a strong possibility that if his identity were known, he would be pursued, resulting in grave and possibly fatal consequences. Mm. Um, Denise, James's mother, so they've separated now. She's now Denise Fergus. Um, she doesn't support her husband in wanting the identity lifted. She said she doesn't want blood on her hands. And as we speak, uh, what are we now? Late March, we're recording this. Um, There's an actor by the name of Tina Malone. She's in a show called Shameless, which I haven't seen, but she's actually facing 
contempt of court proceedings. She retweeted an image which was said to be of John Venables, as he appears now. She's told the Daily Star Sunday that police better be going for the two million other people who have shared Venables' picture. She's an ambassador for the James Bulger Memorial Trust and she's also friends with James's mother, Denise. And she said that she didn't realise that sharing the image was illegal. Mm. And that's what she's going to say in court. So there hasn't been a date fixed for that hearing just yet. So... The you, reason, have to, you have to be so careful with social media. When absolutely. the George Pell suppression was still in place, I was like a mad woman mm. running around my network, sending emails, telling people, do not like, because there was front pages all around Melbourne that said there's a massive story that we can't tell you about, but when you finally hear it, it's going to be big. Yeah. And there were people in my network retweeting and liking that stuff, mm. and I was losing my mind writing emails saying, do not, do not, do not, yeah, because you're endorsing it. And the thing with the George Pell case is mm. that it was internationally, the story was being posted online. Correct. So it was very easy to look it up. Yes. If yes. you knew to go and look for it, yep. yeah. Um, so what we conclude with is the law officers remind everyone that an injunction is in place which prevents publication of any images or information claiming mm. to identify identify anyone as John Venables or Robert Thompson worldwide forever until Can James Bolger's father gets his way. Yes, Can absolutely. They? It's a worldwide injunction. Um, That's very interesting because not even the George Pell one was worldwide. Yeah, no. We only is... had reach to do it to our borders. Yeah. Well, there have been numerous uh, breaches. I won't go into all of them, but there's case after case after case where people have put things on Facebook and stuff. And mostly they've got suspended jail sentences, but it's only going to be a matter of time before someone is actually made an example of. locked up. Yeah. Um, and there was some, there were some claims over the years and I had heard them that one of them has been given a new identity and he's living here in Australia, but the Australian government has denied that. Mm. But then they would, wouldn't they? Of course. Because they are also subject to the injunction. And there you are. Death penalty for him, yes or no? Oh, still can't. No. Lock still. Him lock him up, but just stop letting them out. Still. You're still straight being. I can't. Mm. 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 Good for you. We're going to take it up a notch. Still, there's a death, but it's it's not as bad as that. There are notches. Yeah, I think so. This is the story of Clement Vallandigham. In the Kama Sutra, on its the lingam is the you v- know the schlong. Vallandigham, I think that's what his name is. How are you going there, Joel Hand? It would be really good to do it with an accent, but what country are we in? Well, it's Ohio. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're going back to July 1871, though. Hmm. Yeah. He was working as a lawyer. He was a former congressman. He was the son of a Presbyterian minister. He believed in the state's rights, low tariffs and slavery. So get in your mind from mm. the start, yep. he's a bit of an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. So don't feel too bad. He no, was a criminal defence yep. lawyer and okay. the man he was defending was Thomas McGeehan. McGeehan was accused of killing a man named Tom Myers during a saloon brawl. Right? I love Westerns. I know. So good. 
Have yes. you watched The Ballad of Buster Scruggs? No. On Netflix? But I imagine really them like good. flipping their pistols around. Yeah, Kirst is doing the shooting yeah, hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, he planned to defend McGeehan by running a line of argument that suggested his client didn't shoot the man, the man shot himself accidentally while drawing his own pistol. Yeah, I reckon that happened a bit. Do you? Well, the pistols weren't modern weapons, you know. True. So the night before the trial began, he decided to carry out some tests. He did a few general ballistic tests with the gun and he had a couple of pals around who warned him, Val, there are three shots in your pistol. Um, and he says, yeah, what about that? And he says, well, you better, they say, well, you better take them out um, to prevent an accident. He says, there's no danger of that. I've carried and practiced with pistols too long to be afraid to have a loaded one in my bucket. Guys, I've got this. I got this shit. Hmm. So he does the test. Gun doesn't go off. I wonder what he shot it into. I don't know. In Mythbusters, they shoot bullets into blocks of jelly. They it's do. The I love seeing it in slow motion. Uh, and what about glass with a bullet going slowly? I feel like that's what I watch on Instagram and I get lost in a vortex of those videos on Instagram until Nicholas yells at me and I snap out of it. <laughs> um, so he put the gun down after he's finished these tests um, and he puts it down next to an unloaded gun. So there's a loaded one, an unloaded one. Yep. Later in the night, he, you can see where this is going, can't you? It's hilarious. Later in the night, he grabs what he thinks is the unloaded gun, puts it in his pocket, rips it out like he would in a saloon brawl. Yeah. Puts it to his stomach and says, there, that's the way Myers held it. Then his hand touched the trigger. There was a flash and he said, "Don't, my God, I've shot myself. No, you... Fucking idiot. Yeah. What an idiot. This is the part that gets me. I'm, I'm sorry. That's victim blaming. Right? It? So in the process God. of proving an accidental shooting, he accidentally shot himself. Well, he proved it then. Well done, lawyer. Correct. Over the next 12 hours or so, he lay mortally wounded as friends, reporters, doctors and onlookers filtered in and out in an attempt to help him and comfort him, but to little avail as the bullet could not be found. Do you reckon they were laughing a bit? A little. They even brought the guy who he was defending. Yes. Come and have a look at your lawyer. (gasps) Right? You'd go, shit, mate, you were dedicated. Good for you. Um, McGeehan, guy he was defending, was soon acquitted and set free because, yeah. after all, his lawyer had proved that it could happen. Yeah. Um, nevertheless, McGeehan died four years later in a saloon shooting. Of course he did. Right? Yes, he did. And uh, Clement Valdingham is buried in Woodland Cemetery in Dayton, Ohio. There's a photo of him. Oh, Clement. He's yeah. got bright blue eyes. Yeah. So there what you a go. Fool. Who said lawyers don't go the extra mile for their clients? Who puts a loaded gun next to an unloaded one? An idiot. You know that's going to happen. Right? That's like with the old switcheroo, you know, I when know. they drug someone's drink and they go switch, 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 and you don't know which one you're having. On the feedback. Oh, we have feedback. We do. Mm -hmm. I've got an email from Emily. She says, big fan of your show. Nice things, nice things. She's nervous writing this. She congratulates me on my my engagement. Yes. Yeah. People are hyped about that. Blinded by the flashing. (laughs) She said, I was so glad when you guys touched on the case of Warren Meyer. Oh, the missing guy in the the, um, Hillsville. Correct. Forest. Something saddle. Yeah. Something. She says... She finds that case extremely sad because she spends her time 
um, looking through the missing persons people. Yeah, she likes to do that. Not weird. We do lots of weird stuff. Um, She also says she lives in Mount Dandenong, so she's telling me not to dump Nicholas's dead body there because that's where it had dead body. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, she said, you, might fi- you may find it quite interesting to know that detectives actually investigated whether the missing bushwalker was murdered by drug dealers after stumbling across a marijuana crop growing in the Mount Dom Dom area. Two separate marijuana crops were found during searches for Mr. Meyer. The Meyer families themselves actually came across a commercial-sized marijuana crop and electrical leads, hoses, barbed wire fences while conducting their own search in 2000. 2009. She goes on to say that police uncovered 32 large marijuana plants in the week after he disappeared. So the theory was that Warren may have stumbled across this illegal crop and then been killed by the people oh. that were growing him. Oh, possibly. Um, no, I don't reckon he stumbled across anything because he knew the path. But it's a good theory. You reckon? Yeah. Well, she says that an anonymous call was made in 2014 during one of those missing persons week weeks. The caller said to stop wasting time and searching as Warren had been killed and his body would never been found as the murderer owned an earth-moving business and used earth-moving equipment to conceal mm. the crime. Detectives are believed to have conducted electronic surveillance of the man who owned the business but were unable to confirm any involvement. Um she said there was also a fantastical confession of a Beechworth prison inmate who claimed Mr. Meyer had been killed in Crossfire. I think we mentioned that. Oh, that there was a there shooting, shooting range. Yes. Yeah. Um, Crossfire, This she says it was between rival drug dealers and was buried never to be found. Um, but she goes on to say, unfortunately, you know, the probability of a breakthrough is unlikely and heartbreaking that the of the idea that the family may never know what yeah. happened to him. And that theory there that if there was crossfire, that drug dealers were shooting at each other, I hardly think they'd bother to hide the body. Well, that would be like the last of their... Yeah, they probably wouldn't, would they? They'd just no. be done with it. Um, I have a quick feedback. This is from Anne-Marie, who just listened to our episode about Tracy Wigginton, the vampire killer. That was yes. episode 37. Brisbane's lesbian vampire killer, as they kept calling her. Uh, she said, I thought I'd share a little story about her from many years ago. Back in my late teenage years in Brisbane, I was dating a guy whose sister was a bit crazy. She accrued a heap of serious driving offences and ended up voluntarily during a short term inside Boggo Road, Brisbane's former women's prison, to clear her fines. It was just before Christmas 1992 and there was to be a Christmas barbecue for the prisoners and their families. Hmm, nice. My boyfriend's parents refused to visit their daughter in jail, so he and I offered to take his two-year-old niece in to visit her mother on that occasion. Boggo Road is a very old prison and the Christmas party was held in a shabby garden courtyard in the middle of the cell blocks. There were some sad decorations strung up on the barbed wire. They try their best. They try. They do. It was a pretty rough crowd of family and friends had assembled to wait for the prisoners who arrived in their dark blue overalls and bad haircuts. There were joyful reunions of kids and mums all round. One of the female inmates dressed up as Santa and handed out presents to the kids. Uh, This quickly devolved into a progression of prisoners sitting on Santa's lap and making filthy comments about what they'd really like for Christmas. Oh. Uh, It was only... When the crazy sister pointed out a woman chatting to Santa as the famed black widow murderer, Wendy Lang, that I realised that in the spirit of Christmas, 
Even the life sentence prisoners had been let out to mingle freely amongst us. Yikes! A short time later, I was at the food table when a large, familiar-looking woman appeared opposite me and said hello. She reached down to grab some barbecue shapes... (gasps) And I caught a glimpse of a vampire tattoo across her chest. Yes, I was face-to-face across the French onion dip with Tracy Wigginton. No! I knew her story well at that time and was extremely unnerved to find her freely wandering around at the Christmas party. I mean, this was a woman who had murdered a random stranger to drink his blood. We shared some idle chit-chat with me feeling beyond uncomfortable and I disappeared into the crowd as fast as I could. Needless to say, I was pretty relieved to leave good old Boggo Road behind that day, but the experience did make for a good story. Anne-Marie, well done to you. That is a great story. Across the French onion dip. That is a – and wonderfully written – Well done. Yeah, really wonderfully written. Can I finish us off with a bit of a funny one? Please. This is from Meg. She says, hi, Chanel and Dee Dee. Nice things, nice things. I love your podcast. Um, Stop it. Is this still happening? It is. She's going back to episode 34. We spoke about Gunther von Hagen's Body World. Gunther von Hagen's. Yes, I actually Ah. wanted you to do that. Um, The exhibition. She says, for me, the most shockingly interesting section was... The sex section. Mm. So for those who aren't caught up, this is a situation where people donate their bodies and they're plastinated. Plastinated. And so you can actually see all the muscles and blah, blah, blah. We walked and they're all in- posed into different poses. Correct. So. She says, we walked into this room and straight in front of us were two bodies positioned in a sex act. Waka, waka, wow. Yeah. My sister and I, both in our 20s, couldn't help but giggle at these two bodies essentially because they were having sex forever. Yes. The what female. Position? Well, she goes, she tells us. She says the female body was in the reverse cowgirl position. It was both funny oh. and cursed as died. It was both funny and shocking. She says before they died, the two people had consented to having their bodies simulate a sex act for the exhibition. Yes, because you'd have to be a couple. Like, don't just pose me with some random bloke. Who that thinks I don't know having sex? In well, they forever. consented, so they didn't just donate their bodies and then this is what happened to them. They yes. consented to having them in a sex position. But do you reckon they knew each other beforehand? They were an actual couple, or would they just because you, nah. you don't want to be posed? No, nah. I reckon other they're a random. That's rando. It's rando sex. Whoa. Yeah. She says, who thinks to themselves, you know, when I die, I think I'd like to have sex forever. Anyway, she says she definitely recommend visiting one of the Body World's exhibitions <laughs> if you ever get a chance, Meg. Chanel, say hi to Cara. Hi, Cara. Hi, Chanel. Hi. I wanted one specially for myself too. Hi, Cara, it's Dee Dee. It's nice to talk to you, Dee Dee. And you too, nice things, nice things. Nice Um, things. Cara's got a few, she's got two dead bodies and a nearly dead body. Stories, you need to say. So I feel like we need to. Well, I rate nearly dead bodies, as you know, because that's all I've got. And so I thought we might ask you to start with that one, um, Cara. Yeah, sure. well, my the most traumatic, probably nearly dead body story is uh, my friend and I. We I live in Western Australia, and we were travelling up to Broome for no, a girls not weekend. this one. I want the one yeah. at the party. Oh God! Oh, okay, there's so many. Go with that. Okay. Okay. 
<laughs> I'm shaken because it's not usually things I talk about. Oh, that's okay. Deep breath. You're yeah. fine. Yeah. You're Deep so breath, okay. You need to hang with us more often. It's all we talk yeah, about. I know. <laughs> you're so fine. And it is traumatic. It's so traumatic when you don't deal with it all the time. But talk us through the birthday party. So it was um, our daughter's second birthday party and um, we didn't have one for a first. So I tried to do like a nice big one for a second. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a few people arrive early. Um, and annoying. My best friend, That's annoying. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know, just turn I, up I'm on time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we were kind of entertaining everyone and getting the food ready and waiting for everyone else to arrive. And I just had an odd feeling in my gut and... So I got up to go and check on all the kids that were playing out on the lawn. And just as I got to my friend's son, he just took a breath in as he was catching a ball. And something just looked awfully wrong. And I I just screamed this scream I've never heard. And I realized he was actually choking. So um, his mum happened to meet me there at the same time. It was quite strange that we were both there when it happened. Mm. But um, so, yeah, we had the, her, his mum started to pat him on the back and try and get it out. And that wasn't working. And mm. he started to go limp. And so then, you know, everyone realized something was happening. And we had three or four people try different methods to try and get this boy breathing again. <gasps> but he'd actually gone limp. Um, he was blue. His lips were gray. Um I, I thought he was dead. Oh. Did you know what was stuck in his throat? I'm presuming that's what had happened. He was clenching on to rainbow-coloured popcorn. Oh. Oh. Firstly, I that hate that popcorn. popcorn. Yes, oh, I've got it's a so it dangerous. I was going to go popcorn or marshmallows, the other thing that always gets caught in throats. Yes. Yeah, so what did you horrible. do? What did you do, Cara? Um, my cousin was there and... <laughs> I still remember her sliding in. She did like a huge big rock star slide across the lawn, like <laughs> tore the knees off her teens. Yeah. But she just got in there and she, he his jaw was clenched shut, but she managed to pry it open and actually scoop the popcorn out. Yeah. And then he just sat up and started throwing up rainbows everywhere. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the life just come back into him and it was just the craziest thing to watch. Yeah. I, I had my phone in my hand trying to, dialed ambulance but I couldn't remember how yeah oh that's terrible and that would happen one of my best friends her husband was going through treatment for cancer and he had he collapsed and she completely panicked and dialed 911 yeah oh yeah yeah I've heard of that yeah gosh and then he was he was fine after that. he was fine and um I see photos of him now like I'm still friends with his mum on Facebook and stuff and it's just really weird you know he's alive and healthy isn't and it? I always still just picture that such a sliding doors moment yeah isn't it? where it's just like if ha- if someone hadn't gone outside and checked on him it could have been so different isn't it amazing That's how your right. in- instinct told you something wasn't right yeah it's incredible yeah, you just have that feeling I should just explain the 911 thing for our listeners who are outside of Australia. Our emergency number is 000, Yes. Um, I believe they've changed it now. Even if you dial 911, it goes through to our emergency service. Oh, have they? Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, because we have so many American TV shows here. Correct. Because I think the... um, What's the English one? Is it nine nine? It's got nines in it. I think it's nine nine nine. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but so I, I bet they do it too. We all automatically do. Okay, so what about when you were working at the golf resort? Oh yes, 
Um, so, yeah, I used to be food and beverage food and beverage manager at the golf resort and we were doing like a little 80th birthday party one morning. Cute. It wasn't exactly a rager. Was, you know, <laughs> 20, 20, 80 year olds there having yep. tea and coffee. So I just thought, yeah, sweet, easy day. Um, and I was in there topping up the coffee and that and they were doing their speeches and it was the birthday boy's friend and they'd known each other for about 70 years. And um, he he just started slurring his words, oh, no. like enough for me to turn around and think, what? And then he just dropped to the <gasps> ground, like in front of everybody. And so I ran over and like started to perform C- um, CPR and there was actually a doctor there, luckily. So he took over from CPR and I went and rang the ambulance and... Um, by this stage, his dear old wife had been propped up on a chair right in front of him watching oh, the whole thing. Oh, dear. So I was there like, you know, I took his shoes off to make sure he was, I don't know what I was thinking, but took his shoes off <laughs> to make sure he was comfortable and I was like rubbing his hair out of his face and stuff oh. and, you know, making sure the wife was okay. But the doctor, I think he could tell I was getting a bit rattled. So he yeah. told me to go out and wait for the ambulance. Mm. Um, and when I brought the ambos back, I heard the doctor say to them, "He's deceased. He, oh. he's yeah. Um, he would have been dead before he hit the ground, oh. like a brain aneurysm." Oh, so you'd been so, stroking um, the hair of a dead person? Yes, and touching his feet oh. <laughs> in front of his That's wife. That's okay, like, though. It was just so horrible. He went out at an 80th birthday party. That's kind of not bad. That's a glass half full comment. Pretty Thank good you. effort. Yeah, yeah, I think that's okay. Yeah. And he's, he was saying such nice things about his bestie. So, Aww. yeah, it could have been a worse moment. <laughs> At least, he, you know, he, he was saying nice things right before he went. And yeah. it yeah. obviously would have been pretty instant then if he had a brain aneurysm. I, yeah, I, it was – yeah, he, the doctor just said, no, I just had to keep performing CPR because – a crowd started to gather. And yes. <laughs> it looked like <laughs> I'm doing effort. something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and didn't want anyone else going down. It wasn't 80th. Yeah. <laughs> oh, of course, yeah. They you don't want them getting very stressed. Domino effect. Goodness yeah. gracious. Now, as if that's not enough, Cara's got one more story <laughs> no, up her sleeve. Yes. you don't. Tell us the one I about do. the bus, bus is, crash, uh, Cara. Yeah. It, um, you and I cannot hang out, Cara. <laughs> I know, you and I. All night. <laughs> After this phone call, we are done. <laughs> it has to be done. It has to be over. Um, so, yeah, this is the one I started to tell before. My best friend and I at the time, we were travelling um, on a road trip up to Broome. Um, and where we're from, it's about an eight-hour drive. And um, we went up there, had a wicked weekend, went to a couple of gigs. And we were driving back about an hour out of Broome and... I could see something in the middle of the road but just couldn't work out what it was and mm. you know, your brain starts to slowly calculate things <laughs> that are going on. Yes, red flags. <laughs> red flags. <laughs> so I turned down the music and I looked at my friend and I could see her looking at it too. I was like, oh, fuck. And I put my hand on her leg and I was like, I think we're about to see some serious shit. <gasps> like, no. prepare yourself. Again, yeah. you just knew your instincts kicked in, yeah. Yeah. And um, my eyesight's not the best, so it did take me a little while to figure out what was going on. But then we started to notice things spread all over the road, mm-hmm. like um, clothes, pillows, toiletries, all that kind of stuff. That's um, not good. So we figured out what it was we could see, and it was this girl covered in head to toe in blood. <gasps> 
Um, she was standing in the middle of the road just waving a towel up and down, oh. trying to get our attention. So um, then I, it clicked what had happened. I looked off to the side of the road and there was an upside-down car you know, <gasps> coming out of it and stuff. How old was the girl? Um, <laughs> I'm about 30 now. Yeah. So this was, I was probably about 23 at the time and I, she was about my age, which was the worst okay. thing. yeah. Her and her friend were about our age. So um, it was two girls who'd been travelling together? Yeah, travelling the same way we were going and they oh. were obviously the car in front of us because we were the first on the scene. Yeah. Um, so as I slowed down and realised what was happening, she ran up to my door and just ripped the door open and started grabbing me out of the oh. car. She was so frantic and she's like, you've got to come help my friend. She's been torn in half. Oh, my <gasps> God, no. Yeah. And what did you that, do? That still goes over in my head. Yeah, because what are you doing at, in, at that moment? You, my brain's saying, well, she's torn in half. How am I helping? That's that's luckily what my brain did. Okay. Um, and my friend that was with me, she was only 18 at the time and oh. I kind of felt like her big sister. And Of course. I knew she'd not seen a dead body or anything, you know, all that jazz. So I just said to this girl, I'm so sorry, but if she has been torn in half, there's nothing we can do for her. Like, let's yeah. focus on you. And, yep. Um, but it was like a scene out of Wolf Creek or something. There was no phone reception. Oh, like, no. Like, it was just a straight road in either direction and we couldn't see any other cars and... So, yeah, we ended up flagging down a car with a caravan. We thought they might have had, like, a CB radio. Yeah. But they didn't. <gasps> um, so they stayed with the girl, and then we got in my car. I could only do about 60 k's an hour. I felt like a grandma because I didn't want to crash my car. Yeah, well, your, your hands would have been shaking. Oh, it was – but I just couldn't process it. I couldn't let myself process what was happening. Yeah. Because I knew that I just would crumble. Did yeah. you did you see her, the, the girl that was still in the car? No. Okay, oh, good. No. Good. I, and I'm really glad that I had the like the state of mind at the time to say, no, I yeah. don't need to see that. You've already seen it. Let's yeah. go get you help. Correct. Um, so anyway, we flagged down a big road train and they radioed through. There was a service station about 120 k's up the road that had an ambulance. Um. Like depot there? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was out in the middle of nowhere, but lucky, yeah, it was only 100 k's away. So the truck driver said to us, you guys just get yourself to that roadhouse. The girls know what's happened. They know that you're coming. They'll help calm you down. Yeah. Mm. And um, so when I, we finally pulled up, because, yeah, cause I think it probably took me about three hours to get there. Oh. But um, as soon as I walked in the door, I just collapsed. Yeah. And then we, once they calmed us down, you know, they gave us tea and coffee, all those nice things. And um, we were sitting outside and this guy walked up to me and he said, oh, you're the girls that pulled me over at the crash. It was the guy with the caravan. Right. Um, he said, did you see her? I said, no, I didn't want to because her friend was telling me she'd been torn in half. Yeah. He said, well, I did, and she had. Oh, oh goodness gracious. <gasps> and I wonder, Cara, now looking back, was it better that you didn't see it, or do you think your, your imagination well, is worse? I think worse? it's always better that you don't see it. Yeah? Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I have pictured, you know, I've seen 
um, I'm into true crime, so I've seen yeah, yeah. my fair share of photos and stuff, but I think to see it for real would be worth Yeah. yeah. Even I though think... I've pictured in my mind a thousand times what yeah. it would look like. And that's how I feel about seeing things now because I've seen so much. I always find that my mind has limits and every time I see the real thing, those limits are pushed out even further. Like yeah. it's, it's always yeah. worse than what my brain thinks. Right. Always. Yeah. And did you ever find out who that girl was? Did you ever see her after that? No, and it plagued me for so long. I, yeah. I thought for ages, like I should have, because it was in the newspaper. I looked for it in the newspaper and it was there, And but it had said, the guy with the caravan and his wife were first on the scene, and uh, did that I didn't you? want to ring up and say, "Well, it was me." You know, yeah. but um, no, I never found out who she was or anything like that. And just on that as well, I don't take you wanting to be um, identified as the first one there as like a a showboating thing. No. But it is like when you see stuff like that, you want. You do want people to know, like, I saw that. I was there. It was horrific. Well, recognize I think it's so, my, so my... someone can um, empathise with what yeah, you went through. Yeah, recognise what I went through. Yeah. That's so important. No, I just bottled it all up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. That is that is hardcore. Mm. That is... Yeah. And have you ever had, like, proper counselling that's, you know, not just silly old me and Chanel? Have you ever <laughs> spoken to any oh, professional about it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, over the years I have because yeah. it did get to the point where all this stuff was just in my head and uh, yeah nah. yeah have you but no. have you wanted to find her that the woman that you saw I in the middle of the think, road i still think about her all the time and after it happened for about six months i used to see her around town like oh and i'm like oh my god but then i'd look no it can't be her so yeah i don't know i don't know they could have even been from the same town as me but i just i don't know yeah mm. gosh mm. wow cara Wow, um, amazing. See how we built it up from the rainbow vomit I know. to that. Cara, it's very brave of you to tell us the story. And I suppose every time you talk about it, it, it helps. It's funny. It I, I have found, like since we've been doing this podcast, I have got a bit better because before I couldn't even hardly say the word dead body without getting the shakes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. The more you talk about things and and other people empathise with you and support you, the, the easier it gets. Can I just recognise well, as well, Cara, you yeah. did such an amazing thing by stopping. I see so many crimes where people keep driving and even oh. in such horrific circumstances as the one that you faced and and living in the world we we do now with Mm. cameras everywhere I've seen people in dire need and cars just drive past them so as as awful as you feel about what you're now experiencing because you stopped you should be so proud of yourself that you stopped no thanks Chanel it's it's, yeah nice things no it's true it is there's good things in humanity and you did a very good thing she's right she's very naughty and sometimes she's annoying but she's she's wise beyond her (laughs) sometimes I try to be nice (laughs) no you did a really good thing so good on you Cara thank you for talking to us thanks for listening oh our, our pleasure our pleasure and stick with us on dead bodies podcast absolutely Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.